coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the first day of January, 2023. Finding our way to heaven. It's always interesting starting a new year to know where to go and what to talk about. So I was thinking about the rapture a little bit. And I can tell you one thing for sure about the timing of the rapture. Want to know? It's not going to happen in 2022. That's about all I know. Anyway. But one of the things about the rapture is we get to see the Lord and we get to go to heaven our true home. Here we're just sojourners. That's home. And then in the midst of this, I was reading an article and and uh, I thought, what a great thing to talk about to lead into this topic. Most of you know Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters been in the business of forever um, talking about well I think she started The View didn't she anyway she's been in network stuff for, for a long long time well, over the last couple years she's been working on a show that she wanted to investigate and then film and then put out and she finally completed it and it aired December 20th, 2022. So just five days before Christmas. The topic of this show was heaven. Where is it? And how do we get there? Interesting. She was interviewed by... BeliefNet, which is an online uh, website, and they ask questions, different people, and have topics of uh, spiritual nature. And so she was interviewed by BeliefNet about the show. And uh, I just wanted to share a couple things of what they discovered and then came out. It said that she admitted that she had had no religious training, and she doesn't really practice any particular religion. But she felt herself fascinated by the afterlife. And to quote her, she said, I've done years and years of special specials, but I care more about this than any I've ever done. She traveled the world interviewing dozens of religious leaders as well as scientists and atheists. You know, there's a good source to find out about heaven. But anyway, she said all the, all the religions, except maybe Tibetan Buddhism, teach that heaven is real and is a better place. Her conclusion at the end of the program, I say that heaven is a place 
where you're happy. All the religions have that in common. What I feel more and more is how important it is to live your life in a better way and not to worry about it. What happens will happen. Heaven is seen as a place where you meet your loved ones and where, in a sense, you're forgiven and you have no guilt. That show aired on the 20th and on the 30th. Barbara Walters passed. And barring some change in her heart and life, Barbara Walters missed out on heaven. Missed out on heaven. I thought it was interesting. She, she interviewed people like a failed bombing guy who was locked up for life. He was a suicide bomber, and he messed that up, and she went to him for advice about heaven. <laughs> she also interviewed an evangelical who fortunately gave her the truth. And believing that, asked if she felt bad about the fact that he said that she wouldn't go to heaven unless she put her faith in Jesus Christ. And she says, no, because I didn't really believe in the first place, so I didn't feel really condemned. <clears throat> Lived 93 years and didn't know how to get to heaven. So we asked the question, the two questions that she asked, where is it and how do we get there? And I'm hoping that that most in this group already know the answer to those questions. And so we're going to review it for just a moment. And then we're going to talk about what will the first day in heaven look like? How's that? So where is heaven? By location. We're given two scriptures. One is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to do so. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2. And that's incorrect. <laughs> so we start right off with an error here. That's what happens when you cut and paste. And then your machine checks you. Is 2 Corinthians 12. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing about himself. And you got to know in 1 Corinthians, he writes to the church. And then in 2 Corinthians, he spends a lot of time defending his apostleship and his right to say the things that he said in the first book. And they're challenging him at every point that he really doesn't speak with authority. And so then he comes along and he says, I don't really want to defend myself, but I will because the message is so important. It's not me that I'm concerned about. It's the message. Anyway, 
He says this in, in verse 1 of chapter 12 chapter of 2 Corinthians. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows. And I know this man was caught up in the paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows. And I heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And on behalf of this man, I will boast. Not on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. For I would be speaking the truth, I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul is writing about this vision that he has. And he tells us where heaven is by using a phrase, he was caught up into the third heaven. Now that phrase refers to the place of God's abode. So what is the first heaven? The atmosphere that we breathe, those things that circle our planet. What's the second heavens? What we call the heavens, the stars and, and space. And the third heaven then would be God's abode. So the location is in the third heaven. And how do we get there? We'll get to in a moment, but there's one other clue that we get. And again, this comes from a source that uh, sounds strange, but we can find it. It's found in the book of Isaiah. So if you want to go to Isaiah, chapter 14. Just a little memory device. Isaiah 14 talks about Satan. And Ezekiel, twice that, 28 talks about Satan. And here is a claim that's made by Satan that gives us some insight as to where heaven is. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, he says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will make my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. So in the third heaven, in the direction of the north, he says, I will ascend above the heavens of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. So where is heaven? It's in the third heaven, place of God's abode, and it's north. In fact, scientists say, even if you were to look into the second heaven, there is a space where there's no planets in that direction. So where is heaven? That direction. The question, though, that was on Barbara's mind, I believe, and certainly should be on ours, is how do we get there? And I'm not going to belabor this because we have already spent some time talking about this topic. And the answer is simply 
to put our trust in the Lord. It's interesting, and, and I don't want to belabor this. The reason I picked this passage out is because if Barbara had had no religious training, I'm sure she has run across this verse. It's found in John chapter 3. Listen to these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. How do you get to heaven? You believe in the name of the Son of God. Of course, that didn't just stop the disciples from asking a question. Jesus, when he starts talking in the upper room discourse, and we covered this when we went through that passage, he said, let not your heart be troubled, John chapter 14. Believe in God, believe also in me. There's that, that question answered. You, we're talking about heaven. How do you get there? You believe in Jesus Christ. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, if this wasn't a real place, would I be telling you I'm going to prepare a place for you? That would mean that I am lying to you. But I am going to prepare a place for you. And then he says... And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas asked the question, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And I preached on this passage because it's so critical for our understanding in knowing about these things, Thomas said, how do we know where you're going and how do we know the way? And Jesus' answer is one that we intrinsically know. We were helping Fred out this week by taking his truck back up to his house and Brad Cushman was here and he had brought it down and he said, well, we need to get it back to the house. And Fred and Dan were headed off one direction. I said, I'll just take you up there because you don't know where it is. And so I got in my car and he got in the truck and he followed me up to Fred's house. And hopefully it was there when we got there. But anyway, Brad didn't have to know the way. All he had to do was know somebody who knew the way. And that's exactly what Jesus said to Thomas. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, you want to know how to get there? You put your trust in me, and I will make sure that you get there. It's a simple thing. Sadly, 
There are people who don't want to even know that information, but others reject it and say, well, that's your opinion, and no, it's not, but it's what the Word of God says, not what I say. But let's assume now that we know the answer to that two-hour special that Barbara Walters tried to put on TV. He says, how do we know if there's a heaven? How do we get there? And he says, yes, there is a place of heaven. And the way that we get there is by putting our faith, our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So now I'm going to turn my attention and not speak to the Barbara Walters of the world because the Barbara Walters, unless she made some decision unbeknownst to us in the time after she made the movie or the show and she passed away, unless she gave her heart to Jesus, she's not in heaven. A little aside here. I don't want to be down on this first day of the year, but... One of the most disheartening things is for me to do a memorial service. Uh, I, I enjoy talking about the truth of God's word and about hope of heaven. But we'll have people come in and they're there to honor the person who passed. And we'll talk about heaven. And I've had family members say, give it to them, pastor. <laughs> give it to them. Tell them straight how to get to heaven. And I do. And then they go. And some believe and some don't believe. But now I'm going to speak to the ones who do believe. The ones who know Jesus Christ. And, and I sort of titled the last part of this message, What's the first day in heaven look like? And you can probably come up with lots more stuff. And there's a lot to talk about heaven. It's actually discussed quite a bit in scripture. But I'm going to give you three things that came to mind as I was thinking about that first day in heaven. Lesson one. Any sense of boasting will be obliterated and replaced by a profound appreciation of the grace and mercy of God. Any notion that we would get to heaven on anything that we had ever done or merited is going to be obliterated, is gone. The only reason we get to heaven is by our dependence upon him. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verses 27 and 28, What then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He goes on from there, and in Romans chapter Four, we read this, Romans 4, verses 1 through 5. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? In other words, here's Father Abraham, the head of, 
of the Jewish nation, a man held up in honor and esteem. And what did all that accrue to? Nothing. He says, what should we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by his works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted him for righteousness. I asked this question years and years ago when I was going to seminary. We were attending a church in Portland and I was working with another guy in the adult Sunday school class. And I asked, how does a person get saved in the Old Testament? And at first, you know, they're looking around at me and going, oh. Then some would dare raise their hand and go, by keeping the law? And I go, no. You get saved the same way we do, by faith. Abraham was justified by faith. If it had been on the, on the basis of works, I'm sure he did a better job than I will ever do, but didn't mean anything as far as his salvation. And he says in verse 5, to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and you're, you can probably quote this back to me, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we come back to the lesson. Our first day in heaven will become readily apparent that his sense of boasting is obliterated and will be replaced by a profound appreciation of the grace and the mercy of God. How do we get there? Because we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and he pours out his grace and his mercy on us. And we are there standing in a puddle of that. No, I, there's no puddle, but you get it what I'm saying. <clears throat> Lesson number two. What happens this first day in heaven? We will be overcome by an overwhelming sense of awe in the presence of the Lord. There's a word that we throw around and it's associated with this word awe. We use the word awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Really, that's most aptly applied to our God. He is awesome. We already looked at the passage in, in the book of Isaiah at the calling of, of uh, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember when he had this vision and he saw the Lord? 
What was his response? Listen to again his words in verse 5 of chapter 6 of Isaiah. Then I said, woe is me, I am undone in the King James. I am lost for I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He, he was in the presence of God and he goes, woe. Song that we sang, holy, 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 could have come from Isaiah 6 because those words are used there. But seeing as how we're studying the book of Revelation, also come from chapter 4, which we're about to enter in next week, and you're welcome to come and join us. Anyway. <laughs> Paul had his own experience with that. Turn with me for to Acts chapter 9. And if you're familiar with the story in the book of Acts, you know that Acts chapter 9 is sort of like Isaiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Isaiah was called in Isaiah 6. And in chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus was called Listen to what is said here. And you know the story. I, I don't want to belabor this. He was on his way to Damascus. He was persecuting the church. He had in his hands the authority from the chief priests to find Christians, round them up, arrest them, prosecute them, and eventually put them to death. And he's on his way to Damascus to do that very thing. And in verse 3, he says, And now he went on his way. He approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone round him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Who got a good glimpse of him? Saul. Saul goes, whoa. I take you one more place. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Hopefully I got the right Corinthian this time. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's talking about how the wisdom of God has been given to the believers. Listen to what he says in verses 7 through 9. Yet among, verse, nine, uh, verse 6, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Doesn't matter how smart you are, if you don't have Jesus, you're going to pass away. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory, and none of this, 
none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. We said that when we, that first day in heaven, we are going to be hit and be awestruck by the character and the nature of God. And as Paul writes here, he says, whatever you think, you ain't got it. That may not be very good English, but he says, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, or the heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. He says, we, we can read God's word and we can see some glimpses into heaven and we're not spending any time talking about the streets of gold or any of those kind of things. We're not talking about the 24 elders and, or any of those kind of things, although that's pretty what, impressive. But he says, of all the things that we know, doesn't scratch the surface what God has for us. When we get to heaven, we'll be awestruck at the character and nature of God. And that leads to the third one, our immediate response to what we witness will be to worship. To worship. I talk to individuals sometimes they come around to this topic again and they go, I got questions. <laughs> I got questions. What is heaven going to be like? What is it? You know. And I go, well, some things have been revealed in God's word. Other things obviously have not been. But you know, our mind isn't going to be focused on that. Barbara Walter said, well, I, I hope that when we go to heaven, we'll get to see our loved ones. Of course, she didn't know how to get there, and I'm wondering if her loved ones were there either. But I want you to have a glimpse of John in Revelation <coughs> chapter 22. Now we know who John is. He was that one that was called the beloved disciple. He was part of that inner circle of Jesus, Peter, James, and John. He was the one who wrote the gospel of John, a beloved gospel saying these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life in his name. He says, that's why I wrote this, because I was there. I, was, I saw him. I want you to know that you can have what we have. He was also given the privilege of writing the book of Revelation. He had the privilege 
of giving some visions of the things that we are yet to see, but he saw. And in Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 through 9, we see John's response to the things that he's been exposed to. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what soon must take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then John writes, and I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and I saw them, he says, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And you go, John, you really messed up here. You're worshiping an angel. And you go, no, you missed it. He was so driven to worship, even an angel would do. And the angel corrected him and said, no, you need to take your focus off me and put it where it should be. Put it on our God. I'm a fellow servant with you. I understand, John, your response. Worship. Our immediate response to what we witness in heaven will be our lips zipped when it comes to boasting. We will be in awe of a living God. And our, our inclination and our response Did you read the sign that's been out on the signboard? When you make the transition from here to future and heaven, don't let it be a shock, right? Let it just be a transition. So let's back up these three points for a moment. What should be our response to our salvation? Well, we should nix boasting right now. And we should look to the grace and the mercy of God and go, how great you are, God, that you would reach out in love to me, that you would offer up your son on my behalf and then make known your claims on my heart and my life so that I can believe how great. My God is an awesome God. 
and our, our response should be now to worship. And with that in mind, we come to the conclusion of our service, which is the Lord's table. And here we're going to share the elements of the Lord's table, some broken unleavened bread, some fruit of the vine. It's for all those who know that they're going to heaven because they placed their hope in Jesus. Because these emblems remind us of the cost of our redemption. It was Jesus' body who was broken. It is his blood who was shed for, for our sins so that he could provide life for us. These emblems are just emblems. They're sort of calls to our life to remember and to reflect and to ponder again the very things that we've talked about. The grace and mercy of God. Our God is an awesome God. And the call on our life is to We're going to have the men come in a moment and we're going to share the elements. And as we do, we invite you to take as the men pass them, hold them, and we'll signal and partake together. But first, let's take a moment quietly, privately, before the Lord. There should be a time of lifting up our praise adoration to our God for our salvation for our hope of heaven the future which God has put before us and we don't deserve but we get it and beyond what we can ask or think he has great things in store You pray quietly, privately, if you would. Heavenly Father, we've been talking about heaven. We've been talking about you. Now we want to talk to you. Thank you. For so great a salvation thing. Thank you for your plan from eternity past. Knowing our condition. Knowing our need of a savior. How that you worked it out with your son for him to come. And the innocent would die for the guilty. So the guilty could be made righteous come into your presence. We come to humbly place ourselves in your hands that whatever days you give to us, we would serve you and serve you well. That we would live a life trusting our Lord and Savior then one day 
your timing, we will come into your presence. And we'll get to enjoy you forever. And we give thanks in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Michael, why don't you lead us in prayer for the broken bread? Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you again that we, once again, can come together and give you glory and honor by coming together as one body and give you praise and thanks for the body that you broke, allowed to be broken and tore apart on that cross for our, for our sins so we can be free. With this awesome freedom, Lord, that you've given us, Father, we, we ask that you would just help us to glorify you to the world out there. Help stir us up and any lukewarmness in us, let that turn to fire for mm -hmm. you. For you, Father, for just helping speak life into other people's lives who need it so desperately. Use us for your glory. Help us to surrender our lives more to you every day out of an act of thanks for what you have done upon the cross for us. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. talked about this unleavened bread when he's with his disciples celebrating that Passover before he went to the cross what we call the Last Supper and he gave new significance to it and said this is my body broken for you take and eat it in remembrance of me and they didn't know what he was talking about he hadn't gone to the cross yet but we certainly do. Let's eat in remembrance of him. The second element that we use in our service is the fruit of the vine, some grape juice. I'm gonna ask Mike, you lead us. Mike Dickinson, we get confused here. Mike, if you would, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, uh, for the sacrifice of your unique, one-of-a-kind son. Mm. For we who, well, we are the ones that you love and, and we are the ones that you you sent him to die for. We are grateful for that. Thank you for this emblem of the blood of Christ as he was on the cross and it trickled down and it mingled the precious, wonderful blood of Jesus. Bless us as we partake of it in Jesus' name. Thank you. 
We sing the song, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And we talk about Jesus Christ and John said, behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Let's drink to that redemption through his blood. Gonna ask the men to come again and, and receive your cups. And then why don't you give that to Tommy? Tommy can pick him up for that side. We'll put him to work. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely, sir.